Okay, as they're collecting offering, you're also going to be receiving, this really is like school. I've given you a pop quiz, and now I'm going to make you write something down. So welcome to Mr. England's church class. Usually it's music, but we just did music class. So take a piece of paper, please. You just need a piece of paper, a pen. If you have a pen, that's awesome, so other people can use it. I'll give you just a minute for that. You're writing down one word, so you know, you don't need to write a novel. I hope you don't. Don't put your name on it. This is an anonymous quiz. Anonymous. I did not know that. Anonymous is a woman for all of history. How about that? I believe it. Okay, everybody have a piece of paper? Now, here's what I do in my class is I don't let you write until I actually ask the question, right? And I should see everybody writing at the same exact time because this is not going to require very much thought from you. I don't want you, when I ask you the question, to think about the answer for a long time. I don't want you to think about what the Christian answer is going to be, you know, what Pastor Jeremy wants you to hear. I don't want you to think, yeah, first, very first word that comes off the top of your head, even... I hope it's not like a vegetable or something, but something that pertains to what we're talking about. And here's the question. I want you to write down one word, one word, compound words count as one word, of what is a characteristic of a great leader. Go, everybody should be writing. I should see nobody looking at me. Characteristic of a great leader, one word. When you're done, hold them up. I'll come by and collect them. I'm not going to make you trade any any papers to grade them and you know there's that one kid that got your paper that raised your hand and said uh, is this answer good enough calling your bad answer out thank you 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 I hope nobody wrote down carrot or potato or celery I mean, if that's what you think of a good leader, I guess, you know what? I could tie that into VeggieTales, right? The VeggieTales were great leaders amongst yes. us. Thank you. Thank you. Let's, let us read these answers. Available. Oh. Okay, okay. Cheating off Malisha? No. I wrote it for him. What did Dwayne write down? Okay. Here we go. Available, calm, helpful, strong, trustworthiness, vision. I should have told you guys not to fold these. Helpfulness. Trustworthy, good, open-minded, determined, strength, wisdom, strength, trustworthy, responsibility, trustworthy, wisdom. We got a group think going on here. Leadership. Charismatic and truth. 
So I guess maybe you've got an idea of what we're talking about today, and that is leadership <laughs> and what it looks like as a Christian in this time and any time, really, not just this time, to be a leader amongst God's creation. Good. Thank you for participating in that. Now I know you're awake. I'll grade these later and get them back to you. Okay, today we're talking about what it means in the Christian world to be a leader. Maybe in a second I will. John's already volunteered. John probably could stand up and see over top of this, so it might work out for the best. Actually, John, would you come help? Oh, Jay's coming. Jay's such a good guy, isn't he? Let's all give Jay a round of applause. Man, that's pretty, pretty lackluster for you. <laughs> I just like staying in front of people. And real close to me, okay. So, you can stand on that side. You don't have to stand behind it. The typical power structure of what we have is we have what? We have the leader up here. We're going to draw kind of an organizational structure, right? They lead a couple people, and they lead a couple people, and everybody's trying to get up to... Everybody's trying to move up to this level. Everybody's starting down here in the mail room and moving up to leadership and supervision. And who, who, who are the people that usually get up in these positions? Right, the butt kissers, typically, right? It's not the people that, that are great at their jobs, because there's a lot of great people at their jobs. So everybody and the people who are pushing up are striving to take this path. We're striving to go up. We want to be the leader or close to the leader. Well, I wish I had another color. We're told, and we're going to read this in the Bible, so I'm not just making this stuff up, right? We are told to go this way. We are told to go and serve people. So how, the question is, how do we go from being in the green arrow to going to being a leader and going down here? Everybody's a leader. Do you know that? That's a motivational speech for the day. Everybody's a leader. In some form or another, somebody's a leader. Okay, Jay, thank you so much. Let's give Jay another round of applause. Thank you. We're in Matthew chapter 20. If you want to turn there, chapter 20, verses 20 through 28. If you have the Bible app, we've just started going back live. So if you're technologically savvy, you can go into the Bible app, which I hope you've downloaded on your smartphone. And then you can go to events and then find Hope Community Church, East Toledo Campus. And I have already put the verse in there for you. And you can take notes for your small group discussions later this week. So... And please forgive me for sitting. I'm just trying to align my back into not being crooked anymore. So, okay, here is the scene. We're, we're going to see Jesus speak here. We're going to see an interaction with Jesus. But going up to this Jesus in the midst of his ministry, he's walking around with these disciples. A whole bunch of other people are following him. He keeps talking about kingdom stuff, you know, the, and these disciples and other people are understanding that he is going to be the king of the world, literally the physical world. He's going to overthrow the Roman kingdom and sit on a throne made of gold and all this beautiful stuff. Uh, they haven't really quite got it yet. Jesus has talked, 
And this is how you know they don't really get it because Jesus has already talked about himself dying uh, a bunch of times. And the verse right before, the passage right before the scripture room, it's titled, Jesus foretells his death again. And he literally says, I am going to be killed. And still somehow these disciples are not really getting it and they are striving to get power. So here we go. Uh, I guess, I, and I'm going to ask you as we read this, what are the expectations? That's the question I want you to look here. And it'll be up on the screen, the New Living Translation. I hope you read from whatever version you have and appreciate the differences. Here we go. Then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with her sons. She knelt respectfully to ask a favor. What is your request, he asked. She replied, in your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. But Jesus answered by saying to them, you don't know what you are asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I am about to drink? Oh yes, they replied. We are able. Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup, but I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. My father has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. When the 10 other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant, but Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to live his life as a ransom for many. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Kind of hefty in there. we got two kind of things going on. we got the first part where uh, the mom of two of the disciples come up to Jesus and say, I want my boys to be in powerful positions. And then... Jesus says, uh, you don't really know what you're talking about. Are you able to suffer like I'm going to suffer? And they pompously respond, we are able. <laughs> we are able to do what you're going to do, Jesus, and suffer the suffering you're going to accept. And then Jesus says, okay, it's going to happen, but you're not going to get the places you want. And then he gives this great lesson of we came to serve, Jesus came to serve, and we should be looking to serve. And this really kind of changes everything that we know about leadership in the world today and the, leader of, or the role of power in the world. Isn't our understanding uh, the same as the disciples is that we should be striving for the best always. We should always be striving to get to the next level and try and move up to the next position and get more money, get to the top, get the promotion, prove yourself to whoever is in charge of you, and we should be doing this in every single facet of our life, including politics. But what does it really mean, this passage, in our political climate that we are in today? I mean, and we're focusing on politics, right? This is just a life lesson forever, but we're focusing in the world today of politics, of left and right, Republicans and Democrats, um, who should get set what. And last week, though, we talked about where we should put our ultimate trust, and where was that ultimate trust? We should be, where, where should we be putting it? God, the kingdom of God, because we can't trust the world because the world's not looking out for us, right? God is looking out for us as his creation. And we also talked about the way we should approach the process of putting our trust in God. If we are seeking leadership roles to exert power over other people, 
it goes against what Jesus told his disciples. And not just those 12 disciples he was teaching to that day, but also the disciples that are sitting in this room today. If you believe Jesus is the Messiah and he came to die for your sins, you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. Our Great Commission says we go and make disciples of all nations. Not we go and make followers, but only the disciple rules apply to the original 12. We are called to serve other people and be the least among you. If we are trying to tell people what to do, but we are not doing anything in it, we are hypocrites. We are going against what Jesus tells us. It's probably going against what we are preaching. How many people do you know preach one message from the Bible but ignore some other parts of the Bible? I know a lot of people like that. All you have to do is go onto Facebook and look at the one quote, one verse quotes that people make in their beautiful Bible app and put great backgrounds on it and then ignore every other part of the scripture and the teachings of Jesus. We have to act. We have to act. We have to go out and do something. And acting is not an event that takes place every couple of years for our local elections or every four years for our president. It is more than sharing a Facebook status about a great passage of the Bible that you read and everybody should immediately follow what you're saying. Because I'm going to tell you a little secret about Facebook. is If you're posting biblical quotes, all the people who aren't going to listen to you probably have already blocked you and unfriended you. So all you're doing is telling other Christians what they should already know anyways, right? It is more than spreading Facebook quotes. It's more, it's more than donating money to charities. How many people here donate money to a charity uh, outside of our church? Or pay union dues or anything like that? Yeah. So typically, when you donate, I'll just use the union as an example because that's what I'm familiar with. When I was in the teacher's union, we had to pay union dues. And those union dues went to our union representatives and they went to the national, uh, the national headquarters. And those national headquarters took that money and they put out advertisements and they put out literature for its members. But they also used that money to do something called lobbying. And if you don't know what lobbying is, an organization pays a representative, pays a person, and that person goes and speaks on the behalf of the organization. Okay? And so the way they do this typically is a lobbyist will go and wine and dine the representative that they're trying to, to talk to, right? They're going to take them out to some really swanky place that costs more money than we probably make in a month and buy them the best wine or the best food and tell them all about why they should make sure teachers have these certain rights. And guess what? The next day after that, the next lobbyist is going to come in. And then maybe they'll go out to lunch and dinner. What I'm saying here is if you're relying on people to speak on behalf of you, you are getting lost, in the trans- you're getting lost in the sea of all the other people who are trying to get the attention of our lawmakers and our presidential candidates and our presidents and our leaders. I mean, even in this church, I mean, even if we look at church, there might be a decision that's made that might, people might not like. People might not like some decisions, and that's just how church goes. But some people will like it, but some people won't like it. I guess what I'm trying to say is we are not here to, to rely on other people to do God's work. 
I'm going to read this last part of the passage again. Jesus called them together and said, You know the rulers of this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Our politicians, we call them politicians now, senators, congressmen, representatives. They are supposed to be public servants. They are supposed to serve the public in which they represent. And that might have switched sometime, and that's unfortunate. But we as Christians should be embodying that every single moment that we breathe, that we are servants to the world and servants to the will of God. We are not servants to what makes us comfortable here on this earth. If it so happens that you get comfortable, then that's great, but we are told that it might not be comfortable doing the will of God sometimes, and that's okay. Do you want to be great? You have to place others before yourself. And what this really boils down to, this, this sermon today is called uh, We've Got the Power or I've Got the Power. I forget which one of those two. But this is really a power struggle, this, this verse. So we have the mother of two disciples coming to seek power in Jesus' kingdom, not truly understanding what the kingdom of God was really going to be about. So they are seeking power. Here's the thing. When you go out, when you set out to rule or to be a leader because you think that you have the best ideas and you can change how this world is going to look at Christians, what you're implying is that there's an out-of-balance power and you're the one that should have the power and everybody should fall under your rule. And that's great, but how do we look at the Nazarene denomination who thinks they should be in power and then the Baptist Christian denomination who thinks they should be in power and the Church of Christ denomination and the Lutherans and the Catholics and that's just the Christian side of things. And then we have all these unbelievers. There's always a power struggle. In every relationship that you have, there is a power struggle. You might not know it. You might not be aware of it. And it's not necessarily a bad thing, but there are dynamics of somebody's more powerful than the other. That's just human nature. That's just, it is what it is. But we still have faith in the one power above all, and that's God. But we should not be seeking to tell people that we are the powerful and they should listen to us. We should be seeking to empower people which is a different dynamic to look at the world. Not we should lord over people and tell them how to act. Instead, we are empowering people by working alongside them and showing them what it looks like to live a Christ-like life. And they're going to notice that. I've got an example of people noticing here in a little bit. And here's the thing. When you take away power from somebody, it is hurtful. That is why when you look at stuff like abuse, any types of abuse, physical abuse, verbal abuse, sexual abuse, anything that's abusive gets punished very harshly in our, harshly in our society because taking away power is hurtful. We like to believe, and we do believe, that we have free will. So we like to exercise our free will, typically. We like to make our own decisions most of the time. We like to feel like we have control of stuff. When people take that away from us, 
you react in two ways, or well, three ways now, but you either go into a fight mode or you go into a flight mode, fight or flight. And there's a third one called freezing. Sometimes people just freeze. Let's look at one of the greatest attempts to legalize morality in American history, and that would be in the early 1900s during a little time called Prohibition. Right, we, we made a constitutional amendment where we said we're gonna outlaw alcohol. This is a rhetorical question, but did that, did that stick? No. I forget how long, 10 years or so, and then we were back to, and I guess we look at it, what happened during this time where we had prohibition? Organized crime raised, people had uh, secret and illegal bars, people made moonshine in the woods, What's that? That's how we got NASCAR. So some people might be thankful for prohibition. But in the end, that got repealed and now people can drink alcohol. As a denomination, as Nazarenes, we abstain from drinking. That's one of our, uh, that's one of our core, one of our beliefs in the manual. We just, we think that, uh, well, I won't, that's another sermon. So we just abstain from alcohol, okay? And there's two ways that you could go about this. And this has been a very interesting conversation for me because I came from being Lutheran where we had a Thursday night theology on tap where we went to a local bar and talked about the Bible and drank a beer. That's, what, you know, that's where I came from. So coming into this denomination is very interesting for all my friends who used to know that I drank and now I don't especially non-believers, because it could go one of two ways. I could say, you shouldn't drink, because our denomination says that's bad. The Nazarenes say you should not drink any alcohol, and that's the way it's going to be. Or you just simply say, no thanks, I don't drink anymore. And then you leave it at that. That's all it takes. And 75% of the time they say, why? And I get to explain a little bit of why. I say that to say that they're are different ways to approach. There is the way that you're just going to beat people over the head and expect them to follow you. And that might have worked a, a few decades ago, but that's not working anymore, church. You cannot beat people and legalize morality into people's lives. It's just not going to happen. We can look at another movement. We can look at the, the feminism movement. And uh, this is touchy, so let me put this on recording. I am not against the feminism movement. Okay, let me put that onto the recording so I'm not speaking out against it. Because I believe that women should have equal rights because they're God's creation. If you look in the Bible, even this passage, the mother of the two sons came to speak to Jesus. Jesus was a teacher, a great teacher, and a, a woman came and spoke to him. And he gave her an audience, and he asked her, what do you think? We believe in the Nazarene church that women can hold positions of power, pastoring. We believe that they can hold uh, district superintendents, general superintendents, presidents of universities. But we're not looking at the church. We are looking at society as a whole. And we're not looking at the Nazarene church. But... I believe this movement came because women felt like they had no voice in the world. So it was never born, I don't think, out of 
out of malice or of, of making women superior to men. But it was born out of them having no voice and the abuses that were suffered from not being able to express what they felt. My wife always tells me, we, we, she says, having conservative values is the most powerful thing a woman could choose to do because she has the choice. There are people, when you choose to say that I want to have a traditional family values and traditional home, that people will tell you that you are wrong and that that's not how you should do it because you're not a real woman if you do that. And feminism has pushed so far, but... And I bring up that point to say, we have to make sure that we don't flip so far the other way that what we are fighting for in the first place becomes a rallying cry against you. It's all about power. If you have the power, then you feel comfortable. Our nation is full of power struggles, and we call these divisions. There is a lot of hurt and strife and fighting amongst other people. Let me just name a couple of our divisions in the world. We have the obvious one, political parties. In the, like we're in the middle of election season. Uh, don't go on Facebook if you want to keep friends. That's what we tell people. We have men versus women fighting. We have uh, the police versus the communities they serve fighting. We have uh, Middle Eastern people and white people fighting. We have black people and Middle Eastern fighting. We have white people and black people fighting. We have division everywhere. So how do we as a church and as believers in Christ and Christ's message live into this world full of power struggles? Should we be making sure that we get a piece of that wonderful power pie that's only so limited because only so many people can have the power? Well, let me ask you that. This. Haven't we tried getting the political pie? I mean, the big voting block of the evangelical Christians was a coveted voting block in the 80s, 90s. And let me tell you what, it's not so coveted anymore because our evangelical Christian presidential nominees are no longer running in the race. We are getting less and less of a voice in our politics. And you know what? That's okay. We are going to survive. We are going to make it as Christians if we don't get to hold on to political power. Because guess what? The old church, the beginning church, they did the same thing. They survived, and here we are 2,000 years later celebrating the same God that they celebrated and the same Christ that they celebrated, and they had to meet in the tunnels of Rome. So please, don't be scared about losing political power because it's going to be okay. I'm not going to say it's not going to be a struggle, but it's going to be okay. If you were waiting, I said this last week, if you were waiting for the political process to make this nation more Christian... You're going to be waiting for that day until the day that you die. Because even if we get the greatest, I guess, Christian, whatever that means, president as our leader, it's not going to be the right Christian for some Christians. You know what I mean? Our trust is in God. Our trust is in the kingdom of God. And our teachings are from God, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus Christ. People anymore 
this is such a broad stroke to, to paint with, but I'll say people, it seems like, and it would appear, that people are not seeking office to be the public servants that they're supposed to be, but rather they're seeking it for power to enact what they think is correct. And I'm going to say it again, the correct thing is to empower people, not to rule over people. We should be serving, we should be propping people up, we should be empowering others. We should be going and doing what nobody else in this world will do. That's what makes us so special, is that when everybody turns their back on the world and runs the other way, we turn back and we go back and we say, you are valued and somebody loves you. Let me tell you, I just went to a conference or a training this past uh, Thursday and Friday in Indianapolis, and Jake has been going to this training. It's about uh, churches in the urban setting, which we are. And um, there's the three Nazarene churches from Seattle were there. And they just talk about how bleak of a situation it is out there. It is one of the most unchurched locations in the United States. People don't go to church. They don't think that they need church. Uh, they don't think that uh, we can offer them anything. They don't think that, or they think that they're, let me say it, they're very educated. A lot of very smart people are out there. So it's almost beneath them, and they see what we do as, as you know, superstition. And that's because they are outserving the church. They are doing what the church should be doing. While we sit inside our castled walls and talk about how great Jesus is and we should be helping people, other people are out there actually helping people. And we're sitting around patting ourselves on the back. We cannot do that. We can't do that. You know why? Because then we're going to look irrelevant. We know that there's good news to be shared. We know that Jesus Christ came and died for our sins, and the only way to heaven is through him. But people aren't getting that message because they're not coming into the church building. People aren't coming to church anymore. Do you know that? I mean, just churches are getting smaller. People are not coming on Sunday mornings. So what does that mean for us? That means we have to get up off our butts and go out there and do something about it. In Seattle, they're, they're looking for a strategy, and they are energized. Despite the bleak situation that's there, they are energized because they are all missional thinking people, which means they all look at their city as a mission field. We typically think of missions as in the Bahamas or in Africa or in Asia or the Middle East. What if I told you that we are in the midst of a mission field right here in East Toledo? There are people who have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why not? What are we, what are we doing wrong? We can't be outserved by other people. East Toledo, I look like this. We are, we are an outpost for the church. Churches have left the urban centers and have moved out to the suburbs where it's comfortable for them and they hope that people come to their building. And this group of people right here, as I look around the room, have said, while everybody's going this way, we're going that way. We are an outpost for God's kingdom here in East Toledo, in this urban center. But we need to make sure that we're leaving every once in a while and interacting with our people, and probably more than once in a while.
during the plague, the Black Plague, back in the Middle Ages, back in the day, you know, before any of us were born, I hope, uh, the plague cut through Europe, killed tons of people, tons of people. And people left, people went to safe the country where it was safe, where there's going to be no people hacking up along on them and spreading the plague. People would th literally throw sick family members out into the streets and let them die because they didn't want to catch it. And while people were terrified, the church stuck around and cared for those sick people. And we have Christian lineages that go all the way back to that time. When people didn't know the gospel, how easy would it have them how easy would it have been for them to leave and let all the sick people stay in the city? And as those sick people survived, guess what they're not going to be doing? Coming to church, because what did church do for them? You know, what did Christ followers do for them? Every day, and in every relationship, I alluded to this earlier, there is a power struggle. It could be pretty obvious, like there's a power struggle with your kid where they want to do something and you don't want them to do something, but you say, I'm the parent, so you're going to do this. They say, no, you're not, because then they get grounded and you've exerted your power over them. It could be uh, an implied power of uh, pastor and congregant. It could be uh, a power of mayor in the city. But I'll tell you this, it's harder to notice that, you're, that there's a power struggle if you're the one in power. Because if you have the power, things are typically going your way. Some people are always on the losing end of a power struggle. Always. Does anybody know who has the power in America? What type of person has the power? The money. Carlene says money. That's true in a lot of cases. Money talks. The most influence. Let me tell you who has the most power and the most influence is people like me. Middle class, straight, white males. We have the power. If you look out into our country right now and you look at the struggles that are happening and the racial divisions that are happening, it is difficult to understand if you are not a black person. If you've never talked to somebody who has lived into a world like that, I challenge you to do so and try to understand what they're experiencing. And that's just one thing. Ask, ask a woman how she's been looked over by a man. Ask a gay person what their life is like. And see how unproportionately balanced the world can be. If we look around this room, we have a pretty homogenous group. We don't have very much uh, diversity at first glance. The community that we serve is very diverse. So my challenge 
is that we don't become an outpost only for certain type of people. Because the Son of Man came to serve and not be served, and he came for many people to be saved, not white middle-class people to be saved. And when you take this challenge out, which I hope you take, and you, you try to interact with other people who are different than you, uh, don't go up to them and say, my pastor asked me to ask what it's like to be a black person. Because let me tell you what, it probably won't go over very well. Maybe it will. I don't know. If you find a really accepting person. We think we are ready, just like James and John, to drink the bitter cup that Christ drank. We say, we're ready, God. We are ready to take on the struggles and the hurt and the, the pains that you've been through and the leadership that you've shown. But I don't think we, all, we always are. I think sometimes we say that. We think we know what we're getting ourselves into. And then sometimes uh, it's a little bit more painful than we had imagined. Because here's what it means. Are you ready to die to yourself and serve humanity like Christ. If God, or if Jesus came into this room right now and he listened to this great sermon that I'm preaching to you all, would he stick around and would he listen to me? Or would he go out and walk the streets and interact with the people that aren't in this building right now? Would he stick around for a church service or would he go coach a t-ball or a soccer team would he drive by a place like Weiler Homes and look at that as a scary place and not walk in there? Would he, would he go and shake people's hands and say hello to them? Because he came to serve humanity. And that's, that's all humanity. I don't know if you know this, we got the memo, but God is the great creator. He created everybody and everything. That means we even have to serve and reach out to the scary parts with the people who don't look like us, who don't live like us, who don't speak like us, who don't have the same lifestyles as us. Everybody. Everybody. And guess what? Jesus even talked to sinners. <laughs> All right? So don't be scared. Are you ready to not have power? Are you ready to relinquish your power that you have and serve the kingdom of God. Because there's going to come a time, and there's going to come a day, and it's approaching, that Christians aren't going to be the strong voice in America. And some might even argue that it's not the strong voice in America right now. We are going to lose our influence. Please do not be scared by that. Don't be scared that you're going to be irrelevant. Be prepared for it. Be prepared to live like Christ. Because it really doesn't matter if we're in power or not, because the rulers of the world rule over their subjects, and we came to serve people. You can serve people without being in power. When I was teaching in the school, kids served me all the time by helping me out. 
that service. They didn't have to be the teacher. Selfless service works. Because if you serve like Christ, you act like Christ, people are going to notice. Droves of people didn't turn to be Christ followers because he was the king of the world. They came because he came and served the world and he died for their sins. The ultimate service anybody could do is dying for somebody else. And I'm asking you to die to yourselves and serve Christ and serve humanity. Let's pray. Father God, I ask that you open our eyes to see the world the way that you saw the world. I ask that we have the confidence that is instilled in us in the Holy Spirit to walk through this world with the hope and the trust that you are going to lead us into heaven. I pray that you give us the words to say and you teach us how to act in situations that might make us uncomfortable, but that we serve people, that we interact with us. Keep us humble, God. Keep us humble in spirit and in mind. Help us die to ourselves and live for you. Lord, I pray for myself, and I hope other people pray the same prayer. That I, I pray that you, you wash me clean of prejudices or preconceived notions that I might have about the world or the people who surround me, and you take me deeper into a walk with you, that you lead me into places that might be scary, but knowing that I'm spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ, I'll have confidence I pray that you inspire us to act outside of our social media accounts and outside of voting for people. I ask that you, you spur us to act and interact with the community that we are serving. I ask that you go before us and you, you soften the hearts of the people in this area and of the state and of the nation and of the world. And I pray as we interact with people that they see you shining through us. They don't see Pastor Jeremy or Jeremy England, the, the random guy that's shaking people's hands or helping out, but they see the love of Jesus. And they see the sacrifice that you made. In order to keep my intentions pure and centered on you, help me to not focus on what I will receive from helping other people, but rather how I can further the kingdom of God through my actions. I thank you for this time we have here together. I thank you for the space that we get to meet in. I thank you for the message that you prepared this morning. I thank you for all of the work this campus has done already. I thank you for the willingness for them to go into areas that other people are not going. Lord, keep me uncomfortable and keep me thirsty for, for the world and for you breaking through the world. I ask all this in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.